Well, the Advent lessons this morning have me focused in on Romans 15, it'll be my text, and my topic is the hope of endurance. We're in this Advent series and we're focusing on hope and what it means to live in hope, and we come across the idea of endurance and how that is connected to hope this morning. We love hearing stories of people who endure incredible hardships and they press on despite obstacles and they just seem to have this ability to keep going and not stopping. I came across... um, a book that Bear Grylls wrote two years ago. Bear Grylls is the guy who's kind of famous for eating gross things on TV. He's in that show, Man vs. Wild. You might not know this. He's also a very solidly evangelical Christian and is a spokesperson for the Alpha Course. And Bear Grylls put together a book um, called True Grit, And it was uh, just a collection of stories that really inspired him. So, of course, all of them are stories of survival in the wilderness under, you know, tough situations. And I just just picked three of them for this morning I want to share with you. Um, They had a common theme that all involved an airplane crash. So, these are all stories of endurance. One is from 1971, and the person's name is Julianne Kopka. She is a German 17-year-old girl who was living in Peru with her parents, and she was flying in an airplane when it was struck by lightning and caused the plane to break into pieces at 10,000 feet. She fell 10,000 feet, still strapped into her airplane chair, and crashed through the jungle canopy and landed in the wilderness in the jungle of Peru and suffered a huge gash on her arm and a broken collarbone, which you would say is amazing that that's all it was. And she searched around for her mom without success and then was there very far from people and traveled 10 days walking and swimming downstream and eventually got help. And um, what caused that to happen was she remembered that her dad had told her some survival skill things, and she had this image of getting to be reunited with him. Another plane crash happened a year later. You remember the rugby team, the the Uruguay rugby team that crashed high in the Andes, and um, they, many of them were killed in the crash, and then a number of others were killed in an avalanche that happened not long after that. They were there for so long that they had to resort to cannibalism. And this man named Nando Parada, Nando Parado, um, went out with one other guy with no mountaineering equipment. Keep in mind, they're up in snowy avalanche um, conditions and hiked up to the peak, looked around, saw nothing but other snow-capped peaks, and found the valley off in the distance and set off for that, and hiked for 10 days. Again, no food, um, just what he could bring of their, their supplies, and uh, got to safety, which is why we know the story, and then they were able to come back and, and to, um, to rescue those people. And a movie, uh, several movies actually were made about that one. And then there's a third story, and you've probably heard of this one because of the book Unbroken, but Luis Zamperini was an Olympic runner, and he was also an officer in World War II, and his plane crashed in the Pacific Ocean. He spent 47 days on a raft fighting off sharks and even Japanese air attacks. They were shooting at him from airplanes in his raft. He he survived 47 days and then, believe it or not, he landed on an inhabited island where the Japanese had a torture camp. They captured him and tortured him for a very, very long time. And what's so amazing about that story is when he got out and had dreams, nightmares, recurrent nightmares of his torturers and what they did to him, he finally met the Lord through the Billy Graham uh, preaching, 
and then spent the rest of his life going back to find those torturers and forgive them and then proclaiming the forgiveness that comes from the gospel. In his case, endurance was was motivated by forgiveness, by a picture of God's forgiveness for him. These stories all involve, any, any kind of endurance story always involves for that person some vision of something beyond their current situation. There's some picture, some hope that they have that gives them the ability to endure through situations like that. There's a title in our text today for God that's an unusual one. He's called the God of Endurance. In Romans 15, it says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of endurance, the Apostle Paul calls him. So our text today is going to be Romans 15. If you want to turn there with me, it's helpful to look at God's word as we preach. I want to set the context though, and it's one that is not really something we deal with. Um, In the situation he was writing to, there was a problem with Jewish Christians had come in and Gentile Christians had come into this new church and they were struggling with what was appropriate behavior. And as you know, the kosher laws of the Jewish faith required them to be very strict in what they could and couldn't eat. And so people who were Gentiles understood that they had grace to eat whatever, that the, the sacrificial system and the ceremonial laws of Israel no longer applied. But if you were raised in, in the Jewish religion, to suddenly be told that you can eat, let's say, pork, was so hard that there was this fight. And the people who had the freedom of conscience were eating whatever they wanted, and it was causing scandal to those who did not have as much freedom. Now, we've even served pulled pork sandwiches under the tent out there for fundraisers. I don't think in our context, even if you have some Jewish roots, that offended you. So I want to back up slightly and apply the principle at a bigger level. The issue here is unity within the church. That's what Paul is dealing with. And the, the big issue is a divided church over what we could call secondary issues. And we have a lot of struggles. But what God is saying in this text is that he wants all of us involved in the life of the church. Look at verse 5 and then verse 6. In verse 5 it says, again, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. He wants you to live, you the church, to live in such harmony. And then in verse 6, That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to be a people living in harmony and with one voice glorifying God. So yes, it is possible to be a Christian alone, isolated in your home and read your Bible and watch TV on church, but you are not with one voice glorifying God. And so when we gather together on the Lord's day in his house, we are stepping into what his will is for us. But there are reasons that people back away from church. It's messy. Community is messy. And maturity takes a long time. And so people are weak in their faith and growing along. But I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I believe there's one church in the world. I believe that it is holy and set aside and other and unique. I do believe that it's Catholic, meaning universal. It includes all who believe in Christ today and down through the ages. There is one Catholic church and it's apostolic. It's founded on the teachings of Jesus that were laid down through the apostles that he gave to us. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I also 
believe that the church is the hope of the world. And I believe that it will endure. The church will endure to the end of the age. I tell the newcomers, and I'll tell them today, that I believe that the church has Jesus' promise that it will survive. It will outlast nations and corporations and any human organization because, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail. I will build my church, he said. It will endure to the end of the age. But people grow frustrated with the church because it is messy. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul says in verse 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So right here, we see the mess of community. Those who are strong are tempted to just be selfish in their maturity and their strength and ignore the weak. And those who are weak, well, there's always going to be weakness in the church as long as it's doing its mission because people are coming in in all different levels. Some not even knowing Christ. Then when they become a Christian, they've got a long road of discipleship ahead of them. So, Praise be to God that there are weak ones in the church because he is building his church. Now, I want to qualify that when Paul's talking about strong and weak, he's not talking about moral things. He's not talking about lifestyle things. He's talking about conscientious scruples. One person says, I can eat pork. Another says, I can't. And he's saying those of us who are strong and have those freedoms in Christ ought not to exercise them in such a way as the conscience of our brother or sister in Christ stumbles. Now, that's about applying the freedoms of grace. Again, we don't struggle with the food laws, but we can back up a little bit and think about grace and how some in the church have grasped grace in a way that they're able then to extend it to others. And some of us are still struggling with our own sense of goodness. And by that I mean this, have you ever been tempted to think yourself better than, let's say, someone who is in jail for murder? They've broken the sixth commandment, but have you ever broken the first commandment and had another God before God, had idolatry in your life? Or if we could jump up to the Sermon on the Mount, yes, you might not have physically murdered someone, but have you been so angry with them in your heart that you wish them murder? Jesus said, whoever is even angry has committed murder. And so all of a sudden we realize, I'm way more broken than I thought. I am way more of a sinner. I've broken different parts of the law than maybe you have, but we are all lawbreakers in God's eyes. And it's at that moment that grace speaks to us. Jesus says, I love you and I died for you anyway. Because of that, I'm redeeming you. And when I look at that, then I can look at someone else who maybe is struggling in an area I don't struggle, and I can say, it's only by God's grace that I'm not falling there too. But I've got my own issues over here to take before the Lord and experience his grace. And so I can have grace for another. That's a picture of maturity. That's a picture of strength. But we have to get to that place. It takes a while to learn to walk in grace. We have to fall down and let Jesus pick us back up. And then we can have empathy for others when they fall down. That's about unity within the church. So what makes Jesus, what makes God the God of endurance? Well, Verse 3 and verse 8 in this passage speak to that. It says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you, meaning the Father, fell on me, meaning the Son. Jesus so identified with the mission of God that those who hated God hated Jesus and put him on the cross. He did not please himself and come first as Lord, although he could have, or as King. He came first as suffering servant to sacrifice himself He came and endured so that he could win a people for himself. I mean, that's 
there's a number of different ways you can say what the gospel is, but you know, it's, it's a holy God enduring the sin of people to redeem them, to make them into his people. And Christ endured, and he still endures. He is still pursuing people to this very day. He goes to great lengths to reach them and is bringing people into his kingdom all the time. I read an account of a conversion, which Bear girls might like those endurance stories in the wilderness. I love the stories of conversion where people do not know the Lord and he breaks into their life and then they start following him. I read one this week of a Hollywood couple, not famous ones, just they happen to live in Hollywood and they're very wealthy. The husband was a lawyer and they were both Jewish and the, um, the husband was pursuing a divorce and because he was a lawyer, he managed to get his wife evicted from their home and put her into an apartment and in a terrible move of loading boxes and hauling all that stuff, she finally got into her apartment, shut the door, dropped the last box and then collapsed on the floor in and just total desperation, and said, as if anyone could hear, does anyone care? And she heard these words, I care. And then she said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus. Now, whether it was audible or in her head, it doesn't matter. The Lord spoke to her in a way that she could respond. And when she talked to her friends about it, they said, why Jesus? Why not Muhammad or somebody else. And she said, well, if Muhammad had come and said, I care for you, I would have followed him. But it was Jesus who said, I care, so I follow Jesus. She was converted on the spot and then began to follow the Lord. He is an enduring God. He's pursuing, and that's 2,000 years. He's been consistent in his mission to seek and save the lost. He's an enduring missionary. How is God an enduring God? Well, Jesus shows us that. Not only did he endure the cross on his on his time on earth, but he continues to endure his mission for 2,000 years and counting. And then secondly, the scriptures show the enduring plan of God. So if you look at verse four, it says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The scriptures give endurance and encouragement that leads to hope. The scriptures do that because they show that God is consistent and steadfast in his plan. The Old Testament doesn't have one message and then the New Testament a different message. All the way through, it's grace. The whole scriptures point to Christ and find their fulfillment in him, which is why the apostle quotes a psalm in this particular passage and applies it to Jesus about the reproaches that he suffered. That's coming from, I think it's Psalm 69. He understood that the whole Bible finds its fulfillment in Christ. And Christ is the one who most perfectly brings the plan of God down to the people that need it. So we have this consistency. We have a holy God who is consistently redeeming people. And that plan doesn't change. He doesn't change. And then third, there's another title for the Lord in this passage. In verse, what is it? Verse uh, 13, it says, may the God of hope He's the God of hope. He's the God of endurance and encouragement, and he's the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So he gives his Holy Spirit to provide hope for us, that we would abound in hope, that we'd have joy and peace in believing. All of these themes are picked up in Advent. And this is, this is hope is about looking forward, about what is to come. It's a vision we endure because we have a picture of what is to come. And we get that through the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit speaks that to our hearts. So God is the one who gives us hope and he helps us to endure. So now some applications. What do we do with it? Well, one, are you lost? Are you struggling? Are you suffering? 
You can expect this, that God will use that. Your struggle, your suffer, your suffering, he will use that and bring about hope. If you back up in Romans to chapter 5, there's this interesting little sort of cascading effect. Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. So when we suffer, it leads to endurance and when we endure, it leads to hope. There's this cascading effect that whatever you're going through, God uses it because he's a redeemer. He is the God of endurance. He is going to use it for something good. We know that about him. I want to encourage you as part of the body of Christ to share that suffering and that struggle with somebody else in the body of Christ. That's his desire. That we then could together encourage one another. That we could lean on one another. That we can pray for one another. That we don't suffer alone. So secondly, is your church participation, let's say, modest. Maybe there's more you could do and you find yourself being distracted by the cares and concerns of the world. You're not really plugged in. You show up on Sunday, you worship maybe two out of four Sundays. It's just not a high priority for you. Envision for a minute what the world would be like if there was no church anywhere. All of the Christians were gone. There's no church. Remember, I, I believe that the church is the hope of the world. Now, in that same situation, imagine that you knew what you know from the gospel and you were with a group of other people that also believed the same things and had this message and you had the Holy Spirit with you. Imagine what could happen in the world. Well, I'll tell you what could happen. Same thing happened with 11 apostles and then they started to share with others and the entire world was changed. When people get motivated for, with their faith and do it with other people, it changes their entire situation. It leads to lives being transformed. It's a powerful thing. You can change the world, quite literally, with a small group of believing people. On your deathbed, you are going to think back, and one of the things, you'll, you'll learn two things. I think we're all going to learn two things on our deathbed. One is this. We're going to learn that Jesus is our hope, and we're going to trust in him because there will be nothing else in this world that we can lean on. And in that moment, because of what we know, and what we're experiencing, we will wish we had led more people to Christ. We will wish we had given more witness and more testimony. I've been praying with a guy now for about a year who's, who's terminally ill, and that was one of the first things I asked him when I asked what I could be praying for for him. He said, I have two friends. They're old. They're in their 70s. One's in their 70s. One's in their 80s. I'm praying for them to become Christians. Because do you know what you can't do when you're in heaven? You can't tell unbelievers about the Lord. You can tell believers about the Lord, but they already know. And so on your deathbed, you're going to look back and go, I wish I was more engaged in my faith. I wish I was more active with my church. I wish I had told more people about the good news that I had for so long and took for granted. And then thirdly, are you connected to your church and loving it? Then verse 7 has a word for you in this passage. It says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I have a specific task for you in two and a half weeks. It's one of the graces of our culture that at this time of year, people come back into the physical church buildings. Christmas Eve, I will stand up here and I will look out at a sea of strangers. And I will be tempted to introduce myself to them because I don't recognize them. It always feels foreign. It doesn't feel like my church family. It feels like uh, I'm in the 
you know, grocery store or something where, um, you know, who are these people? But they're coming. God is drawing them. And I want to encourage you to be welcoming. Welcome them. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Specifically on Christmas Eve, if you see someone you don't recognize, go tell them about the church. Welcome them. Tell them that you're a member and how much you love the church and invite them back. Pick any one of the events coming up and say, hey, do you know about Alpha? Hey, do you know about the next newcomer's lunch? Hey, do you know about fill in the blank? Tell them, invite them, welcome them, and let God be glorified in that when they do come. Those who endure, and now I'm talking about endure participation in the life of the church and don't give up because of the messiness or the slowness to maturity. Those who endure have a vision of what could happen, what will happen. That's the hope of endurance. In Christ, God has given us this vision. So let's be the church that he wants us to be until he comes again. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your bride, the church. I lift her up before you in prayer. I pray for your Holy Spirit to empower us I pray that you would encourage us. I thank you, Lord, for your endurance. Help us, Lord, to press on. For I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.